Hey, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Uh, it's so good to be with you. Um, we had uh, Blaine our, Hewitt, our youth pastor's wedding yesterday. And God is so good in so many ways. In one way, he showed his goodness this weekend as he parted the Red Sea of this heat wave. And it was amazing weather. Anytime I find out that I got to do a wedding in the summer, it's just like, what are these people thinking? I'm going to be in a suit sweating bullets. But it was beautiful. Um, the heat is coming again this week, I guess. 90s again this week. It's just God is so good and faithful. Um, we are in our sermon series, Gear Shift. We're taking a look about, at how we can be both present and productive. And the key to that is being in the right gear at the right time. Jesus is our model, and he was always in the right gear at the right time. And so he's our example. Today, we are going to be talking about second gear. But let me very quickly just review the gears for you. So first gear is rest mode. It's recharge mode. It's whatever you need to do in order to get recharged. Um, the best rest, though, includes Jesus in that rest. He's our ultimate Sabbath rest. And so that is crucial for gear one. Uh, I'll, we'll be talking about gear two in a second. Gear three is social mode. So this is like when I was at a wedding yesterday and you're you know, casually just talking to people. Um, typically, it's more general conversation, more surface level conversation. Although gear three is a ramp gear, you can go from three to gears four and five, which are more task oriented, or you can notch down to gear two and go into connect mode. I was at the rehearsal dinner on Friday. I started in gear three with the person talking about fishing. As soon as he said he's interested in fishing, I'm like, all right, I'm sitting down, let's talk. And before you knew, before I knew it, God opened doors in that conversation for me to go to gear two with this person. And by the end of the conversation, um, I was talking to him about Jesus and then praying for him at the rehearsal dinner. Gear three can be a, re a, a ramp gear for us. Gear four is task mode, multitask mode. It's when we're doing, uh, you know, we're, we got a few things going on and we're switching between tasks. Gear five is focus mode. This is when we're being ultra productive, we're locked in, the time just flies by. So the key is all these gears are good. R is response mode. This is when you gotta back up and say you're sorry and apologize. All these gears are good. The trick is we're often not in the right gear at the right time. When we should be in gear two, we're in gear five. When we should be in gear one, we're, we're in gear three, right? So let's talk about gear two. This is very fitting for Father's Day. Fathers, listen up. Your kids, more than anything, want you to be in gear two with them. We fathers can get in this this mode of just providing for our family, doing for our family. What kids want is more of you, your undivided attention, your relationship with them. That's what kids need most. All right, so let's look at gear two. Um, Jesus is our model. I've been saying that throughout this sermon series. 
and Jesus was great in gear too. Look at this, look at this passage, John 15, 12 through 17. This is right before Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. Notice the connection that he has with his disciples in these verses. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your, that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. These verses are just oozing with intimacy. Like, I, I no longer, you know, you're not my servants, I call you friends. Everything the Father has made known to me, I have made known to you. I want you to love each other like I have loved you. I mean, it's just drenched with this connect mode that Jesus was in with his disciples. Um, gear two is such a critical gear because our world is lonely. Our world is lonely. Most people, not most, I shouldn't say that's an exaggeration. Many people, though, feel undervalued. They feel unheard. They feel misunderstood. They are lonely. The world needs people who, like Jesus, know how to operate in gear two. Church, we are to be those people. Check out this article uh, from the New York Times. It's titled, and this was just back in April, How Loneliness is Damaging Our Health. I just want to read some lines from this article because what we're finding is there's a loneliness epidemic in our country. Check this out. Loneliness, as defined by mental health professionals, is a gap between the level of connectedness that you want and what you have. So that's how you can define loneliness, a gap between the level of connectedness that you want and what you have. Even before the pandemic, the United States Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said the country was, an ex was experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. Driven by the accelerated pace of life and the spread of technology into all of our social interactions. With this acceleration, he said, efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. The result is a public health crisis on the scale of the opiate epidemic, or obesity, Dr. Murthy said. In a 2018 study by the Kaiser Family Foundation, one in five Americans said they always or often feel lonely or socially isolated. There was probably 215 people at the wedding last night, one in five. So every five people I'm looking at, one of them is experiencing deep loneliness. It's, it's staggering to think about. The pandemic only exacerbated these feelings. Loneliness, Dr. Murthy said, has real consequences to our health and well-being. Being lonely, like other forms of stress, increases the risk of emotional disorders like depression, anxiety, substance abuse. Less obviously, it also puts people at greater risk of physical ailments that seem unrelated, like heart disease, cancer, stroke, hypertension, dementia, and premature death. In lab experience, experiments, lonely people who were exposed to a cold virus were more likely to develop symptoms than people who were not lonely. 
a paradox. Check this out. People are more connected now than ever through phones, social media, Zoom, and such, yet loneliness continues to rise. Among, this is the saddest part of the article for me, among the most digitally connected teenagers and young adults, loneliness nearly doubled in prevalence between 2012 and 2018, coinciding with the explosion in social media use. Four years ago, the British government appointed a minister of loneliness to address the growing concerns among the public. One town set up happy to chat benches with signs reading, sit here if you don't mind someone stopping to say hello. The model has proved popular and spread around England and into Canada and Poland. For years, people thought that the best thing you could do, I love this too, check this out. For years, people thought the best thing you could do for a lonely person is to give them support. Actually, we found that it's about receiving and also giving back, mutual service, not just receiving. So the best thing you can do for someone who is lonely is not to give them help, but to ask them for help. So you give them a sense of worth and a chance to be altruistic. Even if we're getting the best care, we still feel lonely if we can't give something back. The care is extremely valuable, but it's not enough. The article goes on to say that we not only need to help lonely people, we need to address the structures in our culture that are creating the loneliness. And uh, Dr. Murthy, what he stressed is that right now, our lives are not centered on people, they're centered on work. And our lives need to be restructured to be centered on people. Um, he says that this is literally killing people and it, the shift needs to happen. So I want to point out a few things from this article and I want to speak to some of these points. The first one is that Murphy cited lonely, the loneliness epidemic, the, the first cause is an accelerated pace of life. In other words, people have no margin in their life. They're overcommitted, they're overstressed, they're, they're living a life that is full of hurry, rushing from one thing to the next. And in my experience, as I talk with Christians and as I see our people in our church, we don't live any different than the general public. We're just as hurried as everybody else. Um, Pastor and author John Ortberg, he was mentored and discipled by uh, the late Dallas Willard, who was a, who was a, he was a world-renowned philosopher and uh, author on spiritual formation. And John Ortberg asked Dallas Willard, you know, how can I stay healthy in ministry? And Dallas Willard said to him, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And then John Ortberg hurriedly said, well, what else? And he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And then John Ortberg was like, is that it? That's it. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry. You see, hurry is the great enemy to growth in Christ. Because growth in Christ, spiritual formation, takes a long time. And it's often a slow process that takes intentional effort on our part, combined with God's grace on His part. That's how we grow. And so hurry is the great enemy of spiritual formation in Christ. You see, the enemy doesn't have to turn us into murderers, thieves, or harlots. He can just keep us distracted, keep us busy, rushing, hurried, 
No margin. No time to focus on Christ's agenda. If he does that, he's won a great victory for him. Um, a big part of life in Christ is learning how to connect personally with people in gear too. But guess what? That takes time. That takes intentionality. It requires margin in your life so it can happen. It requires us to reduce our to-do list, which is hard for me. It requires us to say no to even good things. It requires us to be okay with the unfinished being unfinished. Really hard for me. For task-oriented people, this is a considerable challenge, but it's one that must be met if we're going to live like Jesus, who never seemed to be in a hurry and who always seemed to have time for year two. All right, so what else did the Surgeon General say? Loneliness epidemic cause number two, the spread of technology into all of our social interactions. All right, the cell phone is an amazing device, an amazing invention. Never before in human history have people had, you know, access to such a amazing device of technology. It's, it, you know, I can manage my calendar. I can uh, call my friend in, in Montreal. I can, uh, you know, I, I can order my groceries. I can control my pellet grill, right? I can schedule my doctor's appointment. I can get on the GPS that will tell me how to get to my doctor's appointment, right? What can't you do with the phone? It's an amazing invention. Probably if, if you looked at all the inventions throughout human history, it's gotta be up there as one of the top and probably is the one that has most radically transformed how we live the fastest out of any other invention. It's revolutionized. Uh, how we live. Now, just like other inventions, in and of itself, the cell phone, it is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's all in how you use it that determines whether it's good or bad. And the reality is that for many of us, technology-related tools are ruling us and in very significant ways negatively impacting our lives, especially in terms of our relationships. For most of us, the first thing we do when we wake up is we do what? We look at our phones, right? And then as we go throughout our day, we're constantly being dinged because we're getting a weather alert or a fantasy football alert or the breaking sports news alert or we got a new voicemail or a new email or a new direct message on Facebook or whatever social media platform we're using. And so, and then the last thing we do before we go to bed is what? On our phones. They're ruling, the, the cell phone is ruling our life. Um, there is no, <laughs> well, there's a lot of other worse feelings, but it's a bad feeling when you're others, on the other side of a person and you're trying to be in gear two with them and they're constantly checking their watch because alerts are firing in, or they're constantly getting their cell phone out. How does that feel to be on the other side of a person when you're trying to be in gear two with them and they are distracted by this device that they have? Parents, think of how much you're missing out on in the lives of your kids because you are constantly distracted by your devices. 
These pictures paint the sad reality of many people on the screen. Right? Let's go to the next one. It's the world we're living in right here. <laughs> Beyonce doesn't look too happy, I'm just saying. I think Jay-Z is supposed to be in gear too, and I don't know what he's doing on his phone. Parents, how often do we abdicate our parenting responsibilities because we give our child a screen to pacify them? This happens all the time. Guilty. Guilty. I don't even know how our parents survived with us before the how do you go on a vacation and be in the car for 10 hours without without putting your kid on watch a video like man they're way tougher than we are i'm just saying what's more is if you watch the documentary social dilemma and i encourage you to do it um, these social media giants they are using technology and algorithms to make sure you are on your phone as, and on their social media platforms as much as possible because when you are, they get more revenue, they could care less about your relationships or your health, just so you know. Our technology today is like a hammer. A hammer was a revolutionary invention, I'm sure, um, and it's neither bad nor good. It's inherently neutral, but you can build a house for a homeless person with a hammer or you can murder a homeless person with a hammer. Right? It's all how you use it. The same goes for these uh, devices that we have. Did you hear the statement in the article? And I think I emphasized it so you should have. Who is experiencing the loneliness the most? Those who are most digitally connected. And who is that? Teenagers and young adults. Loneliness nearly doubled in prevalence between 2012 and 2018 coinciding with the explosion in social media use. I'm willing to bet that the suicides we saw in the Perry Local School District, this had a role. This social media and loneliness played a role in what happened there. I'd be shocked to find out otherwise. Let me just speak to one other loneliness epidemic cause number three, and then we'll talk about some solutions here. Efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. Because we live in a hurried life, we don't have time to deal with difficult relationships. We don't have time or the mental, emotional bandwidth to deal with the messiness of real relationships. Our lives, as the Surgeon General said, revolve around work, not people. There's always more work to do, which totally does not leave space for gear too with people. And loneliness doesn't travel alone. It is accompanied by these things. Heart disease, as the article notes, cancer, stroke, hypertension, dementia, and premature death. When I read this article, I couldn't help but think, ah, we, the church, the bride of Christ, we have the answers to the loneliness epidemic. We have the resources to deal with it. Let me just give you some resources. Resource number one, we have a God who operates in gear two with us. One of the main reasons the Father sent the Son was to restore our relationship with Him so that we could experience gear two with Him. So we could be personally connected to the Father. We have a Father that loves to spend gear two time with us. 
Hebrews 4.14 tells us that God wanted us to access his throne of grace with boldness and confidence so that we could receive mercy and grace in times of, of, in times of need. That's, it's amazing to think that Jesus experienced estrangement from the Father, and that's what his cry on the cross was all about. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced estrangement to end our estrangement to the Father. It's remarkable. You know, when we are personally connected to God, as we draw near to Him and He draws near to us, we experience Him as a wonderful counselor who intimately knows us. Then there's this peace and this contentment that comes into our lives and our hearts as we relate to Him. There's this joy that we experience. Our identity becomes more secure. We become more confident in who we are in Christ. We no longer have to overwork to prove ourselves, which means we can be in gear two. And when we're in gear two, because we're secure and confident and at peace in Jesus, we can actually focus on the person that we're in gear two with and not be ultra-focused on ourselves. We have a God who operates in gear two with us, and he gives us an example to follow. And he gives us the peace and security and contentment to actually do that with other people. Second resource we have is that we are motivated to be in gear two by scripture that speaks to the importance of it. Are relationships messy? You bet. Are they often time-consuming? Absolutely. But we not only have the research, such as the New York Times article, to tell us that it's worth it, we have Scripture, which is a far more reliable and truthful source to base your life on, I might add. Right in the beginning of the Bible, we find in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. This is always amazing to me. I've said it before, but as God is speaking the world into existence, he's saying it is good. He repeatedly says it's good. And then he says on the sixth day after he creates Adam, oh, one thing not good, Adam is alone. He does not have a helper comparable to him. It is not good. Adam had the perfect fellowship with, with God. He had the companionship of all the creatures that God created, and yet... It still wasn't good. He needed another human being to be in community with. And don't get it twisted. God intended not just for Eve to be a helper to Adam, but for Adam to be a helper to Eve. This mutual service would lead to mutual fulfillment in the relationship. And the same is true for all subsequent relationships, including ours. So, right there in the beginning of Scripture, it's like, you need to be in gear two with other people. It's not good for you not to be in gear two with other people. And then, we have the same theme that carries throughout the New Testament. Most of the one another commands in the New Testament, which I forget now, I've said it, I think there's like 50, maybe 60 one another commands. Guess what gear they happen in, mainly? Gear two. Confess sin to one another. Gear to forgive one another. Accept one another. Seek good for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Speak the truth to one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. And pray for one another. These are mainly gear to um, commands. All right, resource number three. Jesus is our model. He spent time in gear two. We already gave you an example from John 15, I believe it was. 
Here's another example of Jesus being intentional about getting into gear too with his disciples. In Mark 6, 30 and 31, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Here's Jesus, they're in, they're working hard, right? But Jesus knows when it's time to get into gear two and to gear one with his disciples and he makes it happen, he's intentional. I think about Jesus, tra another example is I think about Jesus traveling through Samaria on his way to Galilee in his conversation with the woman at the well. I don't know about you, but when I'm traveling, I am not trying to get in gear two with anybody other than my family in the car because it's always like a race to me of how fast I can get to our destination. And it's like when our boys have to use the bathroom or whatever, it's like we find an exit, because I'm a germaphobe, don't like gas stations. We find an exit, right? And we find a back road right off that exit. Hop out, do your business, back in, we're back on the road, let's go. That's how we go. We have been known to use Gatorade bottles as well. Then you don't even have to stop, right? The beauty of having boys. But Jesus, he's traveling through Samaria to Galilee, and he takes time to have this conversation with the woman at the well. And not only that, and he's totally in gear too with this woman. Amazing. And then he spends, I think it was two days, with the people of her town in gear to ministering to them. And they came to believe in him as the Messiah, Jesus. He had a task to do. He was in gear five getting to Galilee, but he knew when to shift to gear two. It's amazing. All right, resource number four. We have a radically inclusive gospel. The gospel is for all people in all places at all times. Everyone is invited into relationship with Jesus. Everyone's invited into fellowship with his family. No one is excluded. Race doesn't matter. Socioeconomic status doesn't matter. Your political persuasions, they don't matter. Cultural background doesn't matter. Where you live, again, doesn't matter. What you do for a living, it doesn't matter. Everybody is welcome and invited in. And because the gospel is so radically inclusive, we should be as well. We as a church should be radically inclusive that anybody, no matter their background, should be able to come in here and in this church find a home, find a community so that they are no longer alone. Resource number five, we have the Holy Spirit that transforms us to be geared to people. The main aim of the Holy Spirit is to transform us into people that love God supremely and love others as we love ourselves. That's what the Holy Spirit's after. And one of the most loving things we can do for another person is spend time in gear two with them. In gear two, we give our person our, our undivided attention. We give them a listening ear. We, give, we share our life with them. And the Holy Spirit is the one that transforms us inwardly so that we're willing to do that. And we're willing to deal with the messiness of relationships and the time-consuming nature of them. A heart that is willing to remove the technological distractions so that we can give our undivided attention to the person that we are to be geared to with. 
Unlike the rest of the world, Christians have a power that is not our own to enable us to be great in gear two. So we have the resources to be awesome in gear two. Are we utilizing them? Are we, are you, is, is you, are, are you full of distinctive light and saltiness when it comes to gear two? Or are you just distracted and hurried, just like the rest of the world? When people relate to you, do they walk away feeling cared for and thinking, wow, I don't know if I ever had someone listen to me so well and take such interest in my life. I've said it before and I'll say it again because it always comes back to me, is that for Jesus, the most important part of his ministry was the person right in front of him. Right in front of him. It's amazing. You would have walked away from interacting with Jesus like, oh my goodness, that guy listened to me like nobody else has ever listened to me. He was locked in on me. Man, there's something about him I felt so cared for, so loved, so heard, so valued, so understood. That's how you would have left if you interacted with Jesus. It would have changed you. Let's get really practical here. Let's give you some tools to help you. Here is a tool that I'm gonna give to you. So think of this as like your circles of relationships. So your marriage, right, your family. And then you have relationships with believers. If you are a believer, you all have a relationship with other believers. You have work relationships. And hopefully, if you're a believer, you have relationships with unbelievers. If you don't, we need to figure that out. That's a problem. All right. We can be accidental or intentional in these relationships. And so this is a good tool just to assess where you're at and to make plans. Uh, go back, though. So in our marriage... Are we intentionally having gear to time? I just shared at the wedding last night, one of the points that we share with Blaine and Faith is continue to pursue one another in your marriage. Because when, and hopefully Lord willing, they have kids and they're going to be so cute. I told them that last night, I cannot wait. Oh, hopefully they're as fat as Emmy. That's what I'm after. Um, so anyways, so I, but when kids, responsibilities, more of that comes in, it's so easy to stop pursuing one another in marriage, right? Often that gets, that gets left out very quickly. So marriage, do you have gear to time? If it's not on your calendar, guess what? It's probably not going to happen. It's got to get on your calendar. How about your family? Fathers, I said to your kids, are you spending gear to time with them? Or are you always task-oriented, looking to get stuff done, and you're always just accomplishing and do you have time just with your with your kids where you're connecting with them and really hearing how they're doing and, and loving them and, and then you can keep going throughout the circle do you have that gear time in those realms all right let's go to another tool because gear two time it consists of listening uh, here's a listening audit that you can take and you can assess yourself. And I encourage you, because we have a tendency sometimes to view ourselves a little more positively than we should, you might wanna have somebody complete this audit on your behalf, thinking of you. First question, how good am I at taking time to truly understand? So you could rate yourself one to 10. 
Second question, how good am I at asking open-ended questions to draw out what others are really trying to say? How do you do with that? The third thing is, how good am I at being able to summarize what I think I've heard from someone to check I've gotten it right? One thing you can do if you're having a conflict in your marriage, one thing you can do is you can have your spouse explain themselves, and then you have to summarize what they said to their approval before then you can speak. And then you, it's your turn to speak. And then your spouse has to summarize what you said to the level that you think is clear and accurate before it volleys back to them. What well, if we handle conflict like that in our marriage? We do a little bit better. I might do a little bit better. Number four, how good am I at using body language to communicate interest and attentiveness in a conversation? Number five, how good am I at resisting the temptation to jump in and assume I know what the other person is talking about? <clears throat> Jesus was phenomenal at these things. If you study his interactions with people. All right, last tool I'll give you. Um, being in gear two doesn't just require listening, it also requires sharing. And we have to share, we have to be vulnerable and transparent if we're going to be in gear two with people. And that's where relationship is built, where we're, when we're transparent and vulnerable. And then that gives us, that makes way for impact that we can have in that relationship. But often there are three things that are keeping us from being vulnerable and transparent in a relationship and it's hurting our gear too. And if you really consider why you're not willing to be vulnerable, it's because you are afraid of losing something, you're trying to hide something, or you're trying to prove something. And so you need, I've had leaders tell me that, look, I'm trying to preserve myself because I'm afraid of losing something, I'm trying to hide something, or I'm trying to prove something, and that's why I'm not getting in gear two in the ways I should with the people that I'm around. So ask yourself this. Is this a problem for you? How can you be more transparent and vulnerable in your relationships? So there's some tools to make it practical. Um, we're going to head into communion right now, and this is so fitting for today because we have a Father that loves us so tremendously who wants gear to time with us that He was willing to send His Son to pay the ultimate price for us so that we could be reconnected to Him, adopted into His family, and so that we could experience year two with the, the greatest person in the universe, God himself. Yeah, go ahead and grab, if you don't have the elements, go ahead and grab those. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are willing to come for us, to redeem us, to, to uh, make available your kingdom to us, to forgive us so that we could be adopted into your family and become your brothers and sisters, your co-heirs, so that we could have a relationship with the Father like you have with the Father. It's remarkable. It's amazing. We can't thank you enough. And Lord, you 
as your bride, you've created the church to be this place where gear two is happening and where people can be invited into a community and a family so they don't have to go through life alone. Life is difficult enough. It's even more difficult when we do it alone. But you have created your church to be the answer to the loneliness that people experience. I am praying, Lord, that we would be that church, that as we go about our daily lives, that we would be radically inclusive because we've been saved by a gospel that's radically inclusive. And that we would invite these people we're interacting with, not, not just into relationship with us and gear to with us, but we would invite them into your family, a local congregation where they can thrive and grow in you. But Jesus, as we take the bread and as we drink from the cup, uh, we remember your sacrifice for us. Grateful. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. So Paul and I, I need to take communion too. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Paul, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that unifies us as a body. Thank you that we get to come and do this together, worship you, think about how you are the difference maker. And thank you that we can be challenged uh, to be your representatives, your ambassadors, so that more people experience hope and joy and peace and a future in you. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.